Test, test. All right. It was at uh, that left, was that Uluwatu, the wave there? Do you know? It looked like, it might have been A Beach, but I don't think it was. So, you know. Hey, Megan, thank you so much for worship. That was amazing. I mean, I, I feel like that last song about uh, the father, it so touches me because um, one of the things that the Lord's really done in my heart and life is just give me this whole kind of papa thing with God, this intimacy and friendship that, you know, we need to continually cultivate. But sometimes it's, it's easy to forget that, that you're a good papa, you know? I mean, that, what an, crazy, an amazing revelation that God's a good God. But just that sense of his goodness and his love and his tenderness and his, his mercy, man, we just need to be, we need to know that. And I, I just feel like the Lord's speaking to that to me, but to the church, I just know that, hey, each one of us are, you know, his beloved sons, his daughters, and in whom he's well pleased. You know, he loves you guys, and he loves he loves me, which is crazy, you know. And I'm just so grateful for his love, and so thanks for ushering into God's presence this morning. That's really good. Yeah, I'm gonna do one little teeny commercial too. Is that uh, in your bulletins? There's a, a postcard that says "Wine to Water," and one of the things that uh, Chris mentioned is that um, yeah, I've been a vineyard pastor for 31 years. And in January of this year, I actually resigned to follow, follow my heart, my passion, and hopefully Jesus to uh, pursue issues of justice in the poor. And now I'm the church mobilizer at Life Water International. And what we do is we're a water development, nonprofit, faith-based water development company that is dedicated to eradicating water poverty in third world countries and by drilling wells and doing sanitation, hygiene, and just have a huge heart for the poor. And, uh, so one of the things we're doing is it, in Cambria on September 26th is we do things called Wine to Water, where we have uh, you know, Jesus' first miracles, Water to Wine, where we're doing Wine to Water. It's a little bit, a little bit backwards, but uh, we have wine and some hors d'oeuvres, and it's going to be at Robin's back in the garden. My friend Danny Gusecki is going to do some music. And then we kind of talk to the kind of Life Water story and just let you know about the problem, the solution, how you can be involved in it. So if anybody wants to come, please feel free. Be, you know, we'd love to have you come, love to have you be there, and that'd be awesome, okay? Cool. Well, just like Chris said, I'm going to talk today about uh, living a life of love and kind of, you know, once we know that we've received the Father's love, how do we live that out on a day-by-day basis? You know, it's one thing to know that, but what happens when we walk outside those doors? What happens when we go to work tomorrow? You know, what happens when we take our kids to Little League practice? How do we live out this life of love? And just like Chris was saying, each one of us are informal missionaries where we live, work, and play. You know, there's no such thing as, well, he's on a mission and no, we're all on a mission. Right? And each one of us are called sovereignly by God to express his love and his goodness and his generosity to all that we come in contact with. I, I want to start by, by sharing this quote by St. Augustine that I love. And, and, it, and it goes like this. Listen, St. Augustine was the early church father, lived in the third century. He said, what does love look like? It has hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and to the needy. It has the eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of others. That is what love looks like. And can I just say, not only is that what love looks like, but that's what Jesus looks like. And you and I have been called to emulate that. We've been called to embody that. You know, each one of us are these see-through servants, right? Jesus really wants to develop, continue to develop his heart in us. So when people see us, they see through us and they see Jesus in us. And just like uh, Stephen was saying there in Bali, you know, just seeing Jesus in him by his practical love and his tenderness and his care and 
his, his ability to listen and to not to judge and develop friendships with different cultures. I mean, what a beautiful thing. And, and each one of us has been called to love like Jesus. I love um, the verse in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 that says this. We're called to be imitators of God as much loved children. And listen, and we're to live a life of love. How? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So each one of us is called to be imitators of God. That word imitator, in a language, original language, it simply means we're to mimic God. We're to be just like him. We're to love like him. We're to live like him. We're to care like him. Uh, I love what Richard Stern says from World Vision. He said, the Christian life is a call to live as Jesus lived, to love what Jesus loves, and to treasure what Jesus treasures. Isn't that beautiful? You know, you know God's goal in your life and my life? Sometimes I take a survey of churches. I say, okay, what's, what's God's goal in your life? And, and about 99% of the people say, to go to heaven. And I say, well, that's a good goal, but that's not the answer. That's our destination. God's goal in your life and God's goal in my life is to make us more like him. That's what Romans 8, 28 and 29 is all about. You know, it says, God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he predestined that we'd be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. So your destiny and my destiny is to be just like him. To love like him, to care like him, to live like him simply and sacrificially for the sake of others. This is the call of God in the church today. This is what causes our light to be a light in the neighborhood, in our lives, with our families, with our children, wherever we go. So we've been called to live a life of love. I, I'm how many of you guys remember the, the comedian W.C. Fields? I mean, not everybody's going to know him, but a lot of people probably know him. Younger people go, oh, this is W.C. Fields. Anyway, W.C. Fields this is a true story I read, that uh, he was actually on his deathbed. He was dying, and a really good friend of his came to see him. And if you know anything about W.C. Fields, he's a bit kind of a crotchety, uh, kind of a, he liked to drink, kind of chase girls a lot. And he was, I guess he's the same way in life that he actually was in the movies, because that's pretty much the role he played. And his friend came in, and on his deathbed, here's W.C. Fields, and he's reading a Bible. And his friend was like blown away. He's saying, what's going on? Are, are you searching for answers? And he said, no, I'm looking for loopholes. And I think sometimes, you know, when we hear of Jesus, sometimes we find ourselves looking for loopholes too, don't we? Because the reality is Jesus made some incredibly hard statements. Think about some of the things Jesus said, that we're to love our enemies that we're to turn the other cheek, that we're to go the extra mile, that, that we're to deny ourselves, pick up our crosses and follow after him. I mean, I love, I mean, I love you know, camping out in the red letters of Jesus and, and just really meditating on what does it mean when Jesus said this? He said, you know, you've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That's a difficult thing to do. But these are the words of Jesus. He said some incredibly difficult things. But I think on a personal level, one of the most incredibly difficult ones for me to follow, and I'm sure for all of us together to follow, is, um, is in John 13, 34, and I'll just read it to you, and it goes like this. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, if Jesus just would have said, you know, a new commandment I give you, to love one another, I think we probably would have kind of uh, tried to kind of explain it. Well, those that are just like me or maybe the same color skin, or maybe uh, the same political persuasion, or this, in the same neighborhood, whatever. But the phrase, as I have loved you, makes it absolutely clear what Jesus meant. Our standard, the way that we're to love, is the way that he loved us. Now we're going to think about it. How did Jesus love you and Jesus loved me? Sacrificially. 
generously, extravagantly. You know, a love with no strings attached. It was unconditional. It was a love marked by giving, not by getting. That's the way that Jesus loved us, and that's the way he expects you and I, as followers of him, as his disciples, imitators of him that he wants us to love. The very next verse goes on to say, you know, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now listen to what Jesus says. You guys are familiar with this, if you've been around the church at all. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If, there's that conditional clause, right? If you love one another. So the primary way Jesus is going to know there's fruit in our life, there's evidence of walking after Jesus, following him, obeying him, is the way that we love. Are we loving people and loving others the way that we've been loved? Are we, have we freely, what we freely received, are, are we freely giving that same love away? You know, God takes love seriously. And it's a commandment he expects it of us. Folks, it's our distinguishing mark as followers of Jesus. It's what sets us apart. Love is what makes us different. Do you know that? I mean, that's what sets us apart. I'll say something, and, and just think about this for a second. It's not what you believe that makes you different. Do you know that? It's not what you believe that makes you different. It's what you do and put into practice about what you believe that makes you different. I think people in churches that are fueled by love, motivated by love, filled with love, will have the greatest impact in their community, in their world. Listen to what Mother Teresa said. I love Mama T. She says, those who see us must see the love of Jesus. The God we are to reveal is the God who first revealed himself as love. It is love that must direct every decision and every action. Love. Love is the core. Love is the key. Love is the essence. Love is the fruit that must fill every one of our decisions and actions. So how do we measure love? And let's talk about that, because I think that's a really good way. When we think about that, well, how do you measure love? Well, if you have your Bibles, and hopefully you brought it, maybe not, I think they're going to have the verses for that. Look at the uh, First John, John's epistle, First John chapter 3. We're going to read three verses, verses 16, 17, and 18. First John chapter 3. Yeah, and I'll read them. Okey-doke. This is what John the Beloved says. Oh, John the Beloved. Wow, I forgot about that. John was a lover too. This is how we know what love is, okay? This is how we know how we know love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children... Let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and truth. Now think about this. The difference you and I will make will be determined by how much we love. And how much we love will be determined by how much we do. Let me say it again. The difference you and I make will be determined by how much we love... And how much we love will be measured and be determined by how much we do. Why? Because love is an action. Love is a verb. Love's not a noun. Love's not stagnant. Love's not neutral. Love doesn't, you know, stand on the sidelines. Love has feet. Love has wings. Love always moves, always goes. Love's never silent. 
So let's talk about how we can live, learn to live a life of love and how we can love like Jesus. The first thing we need to do is, um, and this is something we need to do on a daily basis, we need to open our eyes. Look at verse 17. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees, that's very important, that word see, sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on him or her, how can the love of God be in him? So what Jesus is saying is simply this, is love does not close its eyes to the needs of others. Love does not close its eyes to the needs of others. You see, folks, we can't close our eyes to the needs of those people all around us, locally, nationally, and globally, whether it's our neighbor or whether it's somebody across the, across the, the continent or across the world. Love has to have to be wide open. You know, I've told you before that uh, I'm working for Lifewater International, and I just want to give you some statistics on the world water crisis, just so you get an idea, and sometimes just to open up our eyes to see things. The reality is, currently in the world today, about 750 million people don't have access to clean, safe water. That means about one out of nine people on the planet live without clean, safe water. Not only that, but 2.5 billion, that's with a B, don't have, don't have adequate sanitation. That means one out of three people on the earth today, on the planet today, don't have access to a toilet. Where open defecation just goes on and spreads disease. And because of that, 1,600 children die under the age of five, die every day from preventable waterborne diseases. I mean, that's incredible. And you say, well, how come we don't hear about it, Bobby? We, that, that's a crisis. Why? Well, because most of this dying and death is happening in far-off places. It's happening in South Ethiopia. It's happening in northern Uganda. It's happening in the Sudan. It's happening in Li Liberia. It's happening in places where you don't know about it. You don't hear about it because it's going on every day. Think about it this way. It'll be like four. You guys ever been on a 747? You know, we call it jumbo jets, right? It'd be like four 747s crashing every day full of children under five. That's how many. And but think about that. If we took that in perspective, man, that's a crisis. That's the bad news. But the good news is because of generous giving of, of the body of Christ and other people, we're making a difference in the world today. We're saving children's lives and we're saving vulnerable children and families' lives by giving them safe, clean water, sanitation, and hygiene and setting them free to go back to school and, and to earn a living and to be free from disease and free from backbreaking chore of grabbing water. You know, most of, these, most of the people that get water in, in Sub-Saharan Africa are, are uh, young women and girls, uh, usually age 11, 12, 13, and 14. Usually they walk about anywhere from two to four hours away to get dirty water and bring it back. And if you know, you ever seen a five-gallon jerry can? Like we take the Baja Tim those, like the gas cans. Well, they use those for water. And, and water weighs about eight pounds per gallon. And so five times eight, that's 40, gallon, that's 40 pounds, how much they, they carry that back. So oftentimes you'll see mothers with a baby on their chest, and they've got this 40-pound water on their back, and they're carrying it back hours, dirty water, they're just making their kids sick anyway. But when you give them the gift of safe, clean water, what happens is now, now you know, because poverty is this downward spiral. But as you begin breaking the power of that by giving people clean water, adequate hygiene, and, and sanitation, and helping them, teaching them, and training that, now all of a sudden the kids aren't getting sick, and they're not dying, and they're actually naming their children, and, and kids are staying in school, so they're getting better jobs, and, and parents are able to stay home and, and work the farm. And all of a sudden that begins lifting people out of poverty. That's a, that's a long-term sustainable solution, and that's what we do. So folks, if you and I, if our eyes are closed, and you say, what do you mean, Bobby? My eyes are always open. But you know what? We can have our eyes open and still have blinders on. Hello? We can have our eyes open and still have blinders on. I know I do it all the time. You know, I walk by somebody and I go, ah, I probably should talk. But I just keep going, you know? But sometimes we can do that. If our eyes are closed, we'll miss the most vulnerable. 
We'll miss the marginalized. And we'll miss the poor that are all around us. You know, there's people that are impoverished that live right next door to you. Or maybe in your neighborhood, or maybe they're in your school district, or maybe the people that you surf with are on your Little League team or whatever. But we need to open up our eyes and be inclusive and see. Love requires that we open our eyes. Let me give you a classic example of this. It's found in Luke chapter 10 in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you guys are super familiar with the Good Samaritan, but I just want to read through it and just give you, make a couple of comments on it and kind of give you a little perspective here. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On an occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, right? Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? He replies, how do you read it? Don't you love Jesus? That he didn't give an answer. He gave him answer his question with a question. Just trying to see what his motives are, right? So the man answered. The Pharisee said, well, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and the love of your neighbor is yourself. It's like, had a baby. Good answer. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. Now, the guy probably should have stopped right here, right? But look at verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who then is my neighbor? So I just want to, um, he's this guy, when I think about this guy, I think he's a lot like W.C. Fields, you know, he's kind of looking for loopholes, right? You get the impression he's hoping Jesus say, well, his neighbors, people that just look like you or of the same religion or the same tribe or the same village or the same political persuasion, whatever it may be. Just let me give you a couple of thoughts about what it means to love our neighbor. First of all, a lack of love, okay, a lack of love is very easy to justify in our own minds. It's very easy to justify. Look at verses 30 through 32. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of all his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, see, seeing, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now to the religious professionals, this Levite and this priest, the wounded man was basically a problem to be avoided. You know, the priest and Levite were religious, but they weren't, they weren't walking the talk. Their eyes were open, but they didn't see. The second thing I think we can notice is simply this, is our neighbor is anybody that you and I have the opportunity to help. Now think about it, who's my neighbor? Well, our neighbor is anyone we have the opportunity to help. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, okay? Remember, he's looking at him, he's looking at him, he's engaging him. When he saw him, he took pity on him. So our neighbor is anybody we have the opportunity to help. Any race, any creed. See, love sees another human being, not as Jew or Gentile, not as Christian or non-Christian, not as brown or black or white, not as liberal or conservative, not as gay or straight, but as another human being created in the image of God. And because he was created in the image of God, that means he has inherent worth and value. And if he has inherent worth and value in the sight of God, he must have inherent worth and value to us as well. Our neighbor is anyone we have the opportunity to help. I love the way the message translates that verse. It says, when he saw him, his heart went out to meet him. You see, folks, all three people saw him, but only one acted in compassion and love. 
The third thing I notice is that love really means acting to meet the need. Look at verses 34 and 35. So he went to them and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. See, love means acting to meet the need. Why? Because love is something you do. Love is an action. And I believe the Samaritan's kindness was a spontaneous response of compassion and love. Remember, think about this. Love does not close its eyes to the needs of others. Love means we have to be intentional. Love means we have to look and have our eyes open. We need to pray every morning, God, give me eyes to see the way that you see. God, give me a, just a kingdom heart, a heart of love, a heart of compassion, God. Help me to notice people. Help me to see what you see. God, help me to love the way that you love. God, help me to give the way that you give. See, there's an intentionality in our part. We've got to take the time to stop, and we have to allow the God to cultivate that into our lives. And that takes a lifetime. No one's arrived. We're all in process, but we have to start the journey somehow. I love what it says in the book of James where it says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or food, and if one of you says to them, oh, God bless you, you know, be warm, well fed, but does nothing about his or her physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. <laughs> James is pretty pragmatic, right? He said, nah, that's not a lot of faith. Remember I said, faith is not something you believe, it's something that you do about what you believe. And then there's this beautiful punchline that Jesus gives us like he does in most parables. So Jesus asks the man, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, mercy, folks, think about this. Mercy is love in action. Think about this. Freely we've received... Freely we give. We've all been the recipients of the mercy of God. You know what? The next breath you take is because of the mercy of God. Each one of us has known God's mercy. And you know, the prophet Micah says, He's shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, mercy, I believe more than anything else, demonstrates the heart of God. Mercy speaks on behalf of those who lack a voice. Mercy is a voice for the voiceless. It's, it's help for the helpless. And mercy is all about serving Jesus and other people. And you say, well, what do you mean, Bobby, serving Jesus and other people? Remember in Matthew 25 where Jesus t told us about the, uh, the whole parable about the separating the sheep and the goats. And he said, you know, for I was, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You know, I was naked and you clothed me. I, I was in prison and you visited me. And the disciples said, What? When do we ever see you naked, Lord, or clothe you, or, or hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or in prison and visit you? And Jesus gave us one of those incredible punctuating lines, I think, we've ever heard. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you're doing it unto me. It's all about serving Jesus and other people. I believe that's what love looks like when we serve others. So how can we live a life of love? We have to not only open our eyes, but the next thing we need to begin doing is begin to open up our hearts, or our hands, rather. And opening up our hands just simply means we share ourselves. You know what it means? It means living and dying for something bigger than yourself. And let's face it, man, we live in a consumer-driven culture where it's all me-centered, right? 
And so what's, well, you want to be radical for Jesus? Don't stand on the street corner and say, have a sign up. You want to be radical. Live and die for something bigger than yourself. Do something that's otherly and engage in something where you're not going to get thanked back in return. I mean, this is what it's all about. It's sharing yourself. It's sharing of our time. You know what the greatest gift you can give people? They have this phrase, right? Time is money. You know, our time is valuable. We're all in a hurry, aren't we? But when you can really sit down with somebody and give someone the gift of listening, where you can actually sit down and without, without having an answer pre, predisposition in your mind what you're going to say back, but just to take the time to hang out with somebody. And oftentimes, if you've ever done that, the people have to say afterwards, gosh, thank you so much just for listening. I mean, what an incredible gift we can give someone. And I think the third way we can open up our hands is we can open up our resources for, you know, to be generous and to share. You know, a long time ago I learned about this, this phrase, and the phrase goes like this. It's called a spirit of poverty or an attitude of poverty. And poverty mentality goes something like this. It's the fear of not getting that causes you to hold on tightly to what you have. Mine, right? It's like, you know, boy, if I give away my time, will I have any time for myself? Or if I give away any money, will I have any resource for myself? Or if I, it's that fear of not getting that causes you and I to hold on tightly to what we have. But Jesus says, no, open up your hands. Open up your heart. Give, and I'll, I'll give back to you, you know, generously. I'll, I'll heap it back into your bosom. Yeah, I'll, I'll bless your, you know, he will, but you, he wants us. God cannot bless the seed that you keep in your pocket. I mean, that's just the way the kingdom works, right? And we give, God gives back to us. And so even though that's difficult, and wh wherever you're at in that journey, man, we have to be a people that are sacrificial, that are generous. Generous with our time, generous with our lives, generous with our resources. This spirit of generosity is what living a life of love is about as well. So we need to open up our eyes and open up our hands. And the last thing we need to do is we need to open up our hearts. And opening up our heart just simply means being vulnerable. And that's hard to do, being vulnerable. You know, Bob uh, Pierce, who's the founder of World Vision, had this great prayer. I love it. When I'm in a courageous mood, I, I pray it. <laughs> but he says, oh God, let my heart be broken by the things that break your heart, oh God. That's a really dangerous prayer to pray. That's, I think, a prayer God always answers. That one, and, and Lord, don't let me get away with anything. That's another one we always like to answer. Which, by the way, is a really good prayer. But it starts with opening up our heart to God and being vulnerable. Allowing him to rule and reign in that place. And then opening up your heart to others. And there's a price that goes with that, right? I mean, there's vulnerability. You're going to get burned somebody. I, I mean, we've all been burned probably by people, right? But you know what? If you never take a risk, if you never put yourself out there, you're never going to know. How are people going to know unless we extend the love of God to others? Somebody sent me an email about a year ago, a pastor friend of mine. He wrote this, and I thought, this is so profound. He said this. He said, nothing tells the story of Christ better than when the church lives like Jesus. Nothing tells the story better. It's not what we do here on Sunday morning, although this is great. I love it. It's not the church gathered, which is important, but it's the church scattered. It's us out there, man, tomorrow in the classroom and in the playground, at the beach and at work, wherever we are. It's just being that instrument of his love, of his kindness, of his generosity, of that listening ear, 
It's doing small things with great love that really makes a difference and changes the world. Remember, we're to be imitators of God as much loved children. And we're to live a life of love, how? Even as he loved us and gave himself up for us. I'll end with a Mother Teresa quote, another one. This is a great one. Oh, there it is, on the teeth. The words of Jesus, love one another as I have loved you, must not only be a light for us, but a flame that consumes the self in us. Ouch. Love, in order to survive, must be nourished by sacrifice, especially the sacrifice of self. That's powerful, isn't it? With the God, though, the church, we just we set, at least move in that direction, that we could be those see-through servants, that we could be the people that are instruments of his love, that we can live a life of love, even as the way he loved us, sacrificially and gener gener generously. So what can we do? Where can we start to do this? Well, I think one of the first things you can do is simply just pray. I mean, this is a matter between you and Jesus, knowing that he's a good papa. He's a good father, and he loves us. So you can say, God, change my heart. You know, yesterday I was walking on the beach, and uh, I was singing an old song, an old Eddie Espinosa song. I don't know if you guys even know what Eddie Espinosa is, but... It's called Change My Heart, Oh God. You know, it's a classic, and everybody sings it now, but I was thinking, you know, sometimes my heart just gets so, man, I just got, I want to be soft and tender and pliable. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever new. Change my heart, oh God. Make me more like you. You know, you are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. I mean, our hearts, we, our hearts are, what was it saying in the Old, Old Testament, right? It says our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can understand them? I think that's one of the most true verses in the whole Bible. You know, I mean, they're all true, but you know what I mean? I mean, it's so accurate of my heart, man. It just sometimes it can just be so hard and so callous and so just going about my life. But God, no, stop and receive the heart of me. He, he so longs and wants to pour out his heart of love, his, his compassion, his goodness. He wants to so cultivate our hearts and give us these tender hearts that just are pulsing with his love. If we would stop and ask to fill us with his love and fill us with his presence and fill us with, you know, break his, our hearts with the things that break his. And I think the second thing we can do is we can repent. Now we think, whoa, here it comes. It's going to start getting heavy. But the word repent, metanoia, literally means to change the way you think, to change the way you perceive, to change the way you see. That's what repentance is. All of a sudden, we're seeing from a whole different paradigm. All of a sudden, we see, wow, those old homeless people or that, that crotchety neighbor or those people. All of a sudden, what? We get Jesus' eyes and we go, dang. God, they're, they're people that you love. They're made in your image and likeness. They're precious and valuable in your sight. And all of a sudden, your heart is becoming tender. You see, that's the beauty of the kingdom. So we need to change the way we see, change the way that we perceive, change the way that we think, put on a whole new kingdom paradigm and see, begin seeing people the way that Jesus sees them. Begin seeing them the way that a Samaritan saw them. Not as an object to be scourged or to be shined on or to, or to be judged. No, but it's something to love and to lay your life down for. And there's no greater joy when you give yourself up for somebody else. There is no greater joy in giving. I'm going to read you a quote from uh, Richard Stern's A Hole in the Gospel, and then we'll, we're done. Have you guys read that book, A Hole in the Gospel? Richard Stern's, he's, a, he's the founder of World Vision. It's an awesome book. And this is what he says. This is very challenging. When historians look back in 100 years, will they, what will they write about this nation of 340,000 churches? What will they say of the church's response to the great challenges of our time? AIDS, poverty, hunger, terrorism, war. Will they say that these authentic Christians rose up courageously 
and responded to the tide of human suffering, that they rushed to the front lines to confront the afflicted and to douse the flames of hatred? Were they right of an unprecedented outpouring of generosity to meet the urgent needs of the world's poor? Or would they speak of, and would they speak of the moral leadership and the compelling, compelling vision of our leaders? Will they write that this, the beginning of the 21st century, was a church's finest hour? Or will they look back and see a church too comfortable and insulated from the pain of the rest of the world, empty of compassion and devoid of deeds? Will they write about a people who stood by and watched while 100 million people died of AIDS and 50 million children were orphaned, of Christians who lived in luxury and self-indulgence while millions died for lack of food and clean water? Will school children read in disgust about a church that had the wealth to build great sanctuaries, but lacked the will to build schools, hospitals, orphanages, and clinics. In short, will we be remembered as a church with a gaping hole in its gospel? Wow. Now, wow. Now, I didn't say that to drop a, a guilt bomb on you guys, but I think it is important to get some perspective. Think, think what's really important, really value, what really matters to God. I mean, there's nothing wrong with big buildings. There's nothing wrong with things like that, but... My car shouldn't go there. Okay. Um, I'm going to stop right now. So God has called us to live a life of love. And it starts right in your home. And it starts around you in your neighborhood. It starts at your job. And it moves out from there. Ask the Lord to give you eyes to see and heart to feel. Begin, begin changing the way you see. Repent and say, God, I'm sorry for not seeing people the way that you see them as objects of your affection. And God will make a radical difference in your life. He'll continue to soften your heart. And you'll have greater joy in your life as well, too. And greater and a contentment of knowing the Lord's I'm doing something about it. You see, remember, it's a, we need to start small. Don't, you don't want to, Mother Teresa had a great quote, right? She said, there's many, many people who want to do big things for God. But there's very, very few people who want to do small things for God. Then she says, therefore, small things don't with great love can change the world. So let's do those small things by being nice. Here's a good start, right? Smiling, that'd be another one. It'd be really good, right? Just being kind. So people can look at you and they can say there's something different about them. Not because they have a bumper sticker on their car, but because they live a life and they treat people differently with the love of God. Would to God that that be the reputation of the church in Morbay, Hayukas, Lesotos, into the ends of the earth? Okay, so it's 11.35, Chris. So I think what we do is I'm just going to, um, I know oftentimes you guys open it up and, and you have people share and stuff, and I think it's probably a little late to do that. I was just going to close in a prayer and actually ask, and, and just allow the, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and fill us with his love. I mean, we can all use a, a right theological word, get zapped or filled blessed or whatever it may be. So let's, um, uh, let's just open up our hearts, our hands, if you're comfortable doing that. And let's just invite, I, I really sense that God wants to continue to, to pour out his love, that you would know his love. And, and we have to know and experience love to be able to give it away. So Jesus, uh, you're here. We just sense your presence, spirit of God. We love your nearness, the way just your sweet fragrance and worship today. God, you're here. You're among us. And Jesus, we're all beggars, God, but we know where there's bread. God, it comes from you and you alone. God, you said it's a poor of spirit. 
Those that have a need, Lord, they get the kingdom. Your rule and reign comes to those that have a need and know it. And Lord, we're a needy people today. I am such a needy person today. Lord, would you pour out your love upon us on each and every person? Holy Spirit, would you pour out the love of God that surpasses knowledge and we'd be filled up with the fullness of God, full of your love, that we would know the height, the depth, the width, and even the breadth of your love that surpasses knowledge. God, we're in desperate need of your love today. So come. Fill us, God. Change our hearts. Make them ever true, God. Make our hearts just like God, we surrender our hearts, our agendas, our preconceived notions this morning, and we say yes, Jesus. Just, just ask the Lord for more of his heart, more of his love, more of his tenderness. And we'll bless what the Father's doing more. Lord, would you surprise us this week with just a tenderness? Would you remind us, God, this week of what it, what it means to live a life of love, to imitate you as much loved children? Lord, the reason we can do that is because we have been so loved, so valued by you. You're a good papa, Lord. You're a faithful father and you're a faithful father. If you sense the Lord's resting on you, touching you, just maybe just stay where you are and we'll bless you and pray for you. And others, that's good. Maybe we can quietly dismiss. But if you, if you sense the Lord's resting on you, Chris, do you want to can you pray for some people?